we're going to begin this journey through the Gospel of Mark all the way uh, through Easter. And so the Gospel account has been attributed by the historical Christian tradition to John Mark, who shows up in the book of Acts as Paul's kind of like sidekick or assistant, right? Um, And so this morning, we're going to be talking about a few different things. Monkeys in diapers, this is where we're going to start. Um, We're going to move to a famous quote from C.S. Lewis that probably a lot of us will be familiar with. We're going to contrast two empires, and we're going to finish with this kind of compelling call to mission. Um, So I was having some fun this week. I was looking at stories about animals on the loose, all right? And this story is, is pretty good. This is my favorite one that I found. In 2016, there was a monkey wearing a diaper that was photographed in a Walmart parking lot terrorizing an employee, all right? And so police said that this primate escaped when its owner opened up her RV door and the monkey ran out into the parking lot. Um, And it ran around, like, there's a video of it. It's just that the video is so bad, I thought it wasn't worth showing. Um, But the monkey ran around like you might imagine a monkey who's been, like, caged up in an RV, probably with a nutty owner, right, Um, would run around and terrorize people in a Walmart parking lot if it escaped. So the monkey is is great. He goes over to the, like, cart rail where you put the carts, and he sits there, and you can watch it, and he's ready to pounce on whoever comes close to him to try to put him back, dare you to try to put me back in that RV, right? So this one brave Walmart employee goes to help the owner, she walks up to the, and as soon as he gets within range, the monkey jumps off the rail. He's all over this guy, pulling on his clothing, like poking at him and whatever. The owner calmly walks up, takes the monkey by the hand, and walks her back to the RV. Puts her back in the RV. Major crisis averted. The employee did not need medical attention. This woman was grateful for the Walmart employees, how they handled the situation, helped her get her monkey back. Then she quickly drives away, probably because this is an illegal monkey. Um, Like, I don't think you're supposed to have monkeys in RVs. I don't know. I'm just saying doubtful. Um, So she takes off, and the authorities are trying to track this monkey down or whatever to figure this out. But that's the end of my story. But monkeys on the loose, animals on the loose. This is what reminded me of today's text, believe it or not. Um, but what if, what if that monkey had been substantially more dangerous animal? Like, I'm thinking lions and tigers and bears, right? The risk of the story skyrockets. If a monkey is loose, not that big a deal. A lion is loose in a Walmart parking lot, we got a problem, right? And so I was thinking about animals on the loose, because at the beginning of Mark's gospel, what we find is God is not contained in heaven. God is on the loose, like unhinged, unchained, unbound, active, and out in the world. And so before we move too quickly into like the first thoughts might be, oh, this is awesome. You know, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. We trust that. But before we just jump too quickly into how cool this is, we have to first acknowledge that God on the loose could be a really scary thing for people, right? It's no accident that in C.S. Lewis's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, anyone read this book? I've read it a few times. The Jesus figure is what kind of animal? A lion. A lion named Aslan, right? And so in this classic and often quoted statement about Aslan, what Lewis is saying about Jesus, he says, this is a pretty famous quote. We'll see how many people remember it. He's not safe, but he's good, right? And so I, rem- I always remember this. I've read this book a few times. Um, 
And I've never forgotten this line, Jesus is not safe, but Jesus is good. Now, to some people, this might be a troubling statement when you think about it. Like, little baby Jesus, innocent, no crying he makes, right? Um, Little baby, innocent, helpless, gentle Jesus, why is this baby not safe? It's a good question. Two things come to mind what we're going to see in our passage for today. First, when Jesus is on the loose and not kept at a distance, okay, this is the important part, like kept up in heaven somewhere, this Jesus might actually ask something of us. And trust me, what Jesus asks of us can be scary. At least it is for me. And the second thing we're going to see in a moment, I think, is that following Jesus might put us into direct conflict with the powers that be. Jesus is not safe, but he's good. Will you pray with me? Almighty God, your Son and Savior, Jesus Christ, is the light of the world. Grant that your people, illumined by your word, may shine with the radiance of Christ's glory, that the world would come to know of your incredible love in Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, I'll just do it, Chad. Yeah. And I'm apologizing for the sniffling and the sneezing and the whatever. It just is. Here we go. Mark 1, 1 to 20. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, see, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized in the river Jordan, confessing their sin. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, He saw the heavens torn apart, the spirit descending like a dove on it. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved, with you I'm well pleased. And the spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by Satan. He was with the wild beasts and the angels waited on him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God, saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were, mending, who were in their boat, mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boats with the hired men and followed him. The word of the Lord. Can you believe that's like five sermons? Just, I I counted, okay? That's five sermons, literally. But do you notice something missing at the beginning of Mark's gospel? Anybody? What's missing? There's no genealogies. What else is missing? There's no birth narrative. Yeah, welcome, Barry. Yeah, yeah. There's, 
there's no birth narrative. There's no genealogy. There's, no, there's none of the things that take place in our other gospels. Um, Mark doesn't tell the story of Jesus' birth. I wonder, it's like, he doesn't say a word about his childhood either, nothing. And I just wonder, like, does he just assume his readers already know the birth story? Did he just trust that, hey, Matthew and Luke, they got this covered. He didn't have to worry about it, you know? He doesn't, yeah, it's, it's thought to be the earliest. That's right. Most people attribute it to the earliest. Not everyone, but that's kind of the, the, the more accepted theory is that Mark was first, right? I'm kind of kidding around about Matthew and Luke. Um, so Jesus' baptism, there's five things. Jesus' baptism, uh, John the Baptist, the temptations, the beginning of his ministry, the call of the disciples, all in 20 verses, right? Five different sermons, and I'm going to preach all five of them right now. So hopefully you got some time, right? It's going to take a little while. 23 minutes, 23 minutes times five, anybody? Um, so what I'm really going to do is, in good Markin style, I'm going to go fast. And we're just going to stop on a couple of interesting points through this narrative. So Mark, Mark launches right into Jesus' adult life, right into his public ministry with these opening words. He says, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's interesting that each of our four gospel writers, they actually have a different take on what the good news is. And I'll just, I'm going to summarize them for you because I find this interesting. John doesn't mention the good news. Matthew says that the good news is the content of Jesus' preaching and teaching. Luke describes the good news as the announcement of Jesus' birth. And to Mark, this is so fascinating to me, the good news is the summary of the whole book. The whole story, the life and teaching of Jesus is what Mark seems to think and call the good news. Now, the Roman Empire, they had their version of good news also. And it's important because this is set in this context. The Roman Empire had a version of the good news in which Caesar Augustus and the good news was this peace and prosperity that came with Caesar Augustus' rule. We talked a little bit about this on uh, Christmas Eve. And so it's fascinating to note that Mark's book, this is the stuff that really stood out to me this time when I looked at it. Mark says that this is just the beginning of the good news. Didn't we catch that? It's the beginning of the good news. So a good follow-up question would be, well, what's the rest of the good news? What's the middle? What's the end? Because even Mark's ending, that's still the beginning of the good news, right? So something is going on here. And what we're going to see, I hope, is that the story of the good news is still being written by Jesus' followers. This is where I think this is, is going, by the likes of you and me, by the likes of the saints worldwide. Because this, it's an ongoing, it's an active, it's a living story. And so Mark ties the good news to this Hebrew prophet, Isaiah, who told us that a messenger would come to prepare the way of the Lord. That messenger is the unruly camel's hair, leather belt, locust-eating cousin of Jesus, John the Baptist. John the Baptist had a really simple job. Point is risky, all right? He had a simple job, but a risky job. Point people to the God who was coming in Jesus and get ready. Prepare yourself because God is on the way. Interesting that Mark makes a point of this. So do our other gospel writers. Where does Mark... Where does John the Baptist baptize people? In the temple in Jerusalem? This is important. Why? Yeah. It's in the wilderness, not in the temple. That's weird, isn't it? God's in the temple. What's Mark saying? The gospel writers are saying God's on the loose in the world. God's not confined to this temple. 
And so Jesus comes from Nazareth in Galilee to be baptized by John. He comes out of the water and something interesting happens. I want to stop on this for a moment. He sees the heavens torn open or torn apart and the spirit of God descending on him like a dove. Can anyone think of another story in scripture where something is being torn in two? Something come to mind? The temple, the temple curtain. Okay, good. And I think this is exactly what we're supposed to do for a pretty simple reason. Chad, actually, you talked about this. You did a great job talking about this, the inner sanctum of the Jerusalem temple, the Holy of Holies uh, that Zechariah went in last Sunday, um, was the place that only the high priest could enter on one day of the year, the Day of Atonement. And so there was a curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple. Why is that curtain there? It's simple, to protect people from the divine presence. Okay? When the curtain temple is torn in two or the heavens are torn apart, what is happening? The protection, this barrier is gone. This is what Mark is trying to say. This barrier between what we think of as the divine um, and human or heaven and earth, this barrier is removed. God's not hiding up there somewhere. God is rather on the loose right here. You see these little parts of these threads connecting through this story. And so God's beloved son, Jesus, is immediately driven into the wilderness. This would be so much, I love doing the temptation, but Mark does it in like two sentences. So, so, so am I, right? He goes, he deals this 40-day period of testing, he passes the test, but here's the ominous note that we don't usually stop and talk about. What happens? The beginning of Jesus' public ministry, right? It starts on a really ominous note. What does it say? Two words, or three words, John was arrested. We just blow right by that. Oh, John was arrested. Oh, we'll get back to John later. What, what is Mark doing? This is really important. Mark is trying to foreshadow something, right? John, this powerful preaching cousin, has been arrested. John is the hero of the first chapter of Mark's gospel. Why does Mark bring a dark cloud over a supposed story of good news? What's he trying to say? Well, he's foreshadowing things to come. Jesus' first act of public ministry is to announce this kingdom of God that has broken into the world. But there's something here that I hadn't seen before until just a few days ago, actually, that the Greek word translated as kingdom, somebody who's better at Greek than me, see if I'm right, um, the Greek word translated as kingdom is also the same word used for empire, as in Roman empire. And so we have these two empires, these two forces at work, that God's empire has arrived with Jesus as its representative during the historical reign of, you know, the imperial reign of the Roman Empire with Caesar Augustus as its representative. We talked about this some on Tuesday night. And so these empires, what we see in Mark's gospel, they're bumping up against each other right at the very beginning, right at the beginning of the story of the good news. Bless you. So we have this kingdom of God is seen as a threat to the establishment, to the old, you know, the, the old order, uh, to those who are interested in reordering the world. They're threatened by this new empire. John the Baptist is a threat that has to be eliminated because these powers can't tolerate any threats. They lock him up. They lock him up to silence him. And so Mark is cluing us in at the very beginning of the good, the story of the good news. He's cluing us in that something, this dark cloud, is going to follow Jesus all the way to the end 
of his story, right? The same thing's going to happen to Jesus. And I, I really do think this is true. I think Mark is also saying that this same thing is possible to those who follow Jesus closely. And so Jesus is good, but not necessarily safe. Peter and Andrew, James and John, they found this out. They discovered this one day along the Sea of Galilee. Jesus called them as his disciples. Two sets of fishermen's brothers, they're working hard, they're practicing their trade, and yet Jesus calls and claims them for mission. And this is kind of the big finish, right? This is what our good but unsafe God on the loose in the world, this is what God does. Jesus calls people to follow on mission. So follow me, and he says, I will make you fish for people. Peter and Andrew left their nets, their boats, presumably maybe even a big catch of fish. They may be leaving some money on the beach, and they followed him. James and John left their dad, like Alex and Carter. Man, can you guys... Can you imagine this? Jen and Jackie, what do you think about this? Like, as a parent, like, I know what I would think, you know? I know what I would think. Like, they're saying, like, hey, Dad, you got this, man. Don't worry about it. Things are going to be all right. And they just, they just leave poor Zebedee, like, with the fish and the boats and the business and the whatever. You have to ask a tough question, like, why in the world, why do they leave everything to follow Jesus? Why? This is a really important question because Jesus called them and claimed them to something more. Those of us that have an experience with this will understand this. If we haven't, this may be tough to understand because Jesus called them and claimed them to something more. It's as if Jesus seems to be saying something like this. You're going to use the skills of your trade, but you're going to use them in a much more meaningful way. Jesus calls them away from participation in the economy of one empire. And he calls them to use their gifts for God's empire. It's a different kind of fishing, but it's still fishing. So Jesus gives them a purpose for living that went far beyond making a living. This compelling call is the only explanation I can come up with. If someone has a better one, I would love to hear it. It's this compelling call to mission, to purpose, that enables these four brothers to walk away from everything and follow. Now, in all my years of attempting to follow Jesus, usually poorly, I've had one such experience like this in my life, this dramatic sense of call. I've shared it. It's been a while since I've talked about this, but I've shared it before. I'd already graduated from college. I'd been accepted. I wanted to be a history professor. So... I was already enrolled at San Francisco State. I was in my graduate program. I literally drove my car up. I had all my stuff in the car. I rolled up to campus. I walked on campus by myself. I got to the middle of campus. I looked around, and I knew 100% for certain this is not where I was supposed to be. I, I, I don't even know what to say. It's the only time in my life I've ever experienced this, right? I found a payphone. Remember those? <laughs> I called my parents, and I said, I think I still remember the exact words I said. I said, I think you, you guys might think I'm crazy, but God just told me I'm not supposed to be here. And I expected my dad to, my dad just said, okay. I was like, what? Wait, is this Mike Douglas? 
Like, is this you on the other? Is this someone like pretending to be my dad? My parents both said, they're like, figure, come home, figure it out, whatever. I had no idea what I was supposed to do. I didn't have the answer at all at this point, I, but I was 100% that I wasn't supposed to be there. So I listened to that because it was compelling, extremely compelling, compelling enough that I walked away from a dream in order to follow something else in which I had no idea what it even was at that point, right? And so like these fishermen brothers, uh, I can relate to this story because about, I think it was about a month later, I received a call from Pastor Dave Wilkinson who is at Moore Park Presbyterian Church. And by the way, like when I got this phone call, I did not know Moore Park Presbyterian Church existed um, and I'd never heard of Dave Wilkinson before. And so Pastor Dave Wilkinson calls me and he says, I have a job for you. And I was like, huh? You have a job for me? And I did everything I could to not take that job. You can ask him. I took the job. There's nothing you can do when this happens to you. This is like I felt helpless to do what I wanted to do, right? Um, And I think that's the compelling call that these fishermen brothers experienced. And so the call and the claim of Jesus can change the trajectory of a life. Like it did that for me. And so there's this sense of urgency in Mark that you see in this first chapter. We're going to see it as we move through it. God's reign or rule has broken into the world. And to Mark, there is no time to waste, right? God isn't out there somewhere. As my friend Reader loves to, who teaches kids, he used to always say this. He would say, God has left the safety and security of heaven and come to be among us. And that was how he explained it. And I always thought those were good words. In other words, God is on the loose. God is here. God is everywhere calling and claiming people for mission. So this is more than a little bit scary because we're not in control, right? We wonder rightly, what will God do next? If God has done these things or even scarier, what might God call me to that I'm scared to death to do? For me, that call was a simple one. When the call came to start this church, I did the same thing I did to Dave Wilkinson. I tried to say no multiple times, didn't I, for like, Years, like a couple years, I battled uh, with this. Again, I lost because that's what happens. (laughs) The call is that compelling. And so maybe the scary question might be something like, what might Jesus be calling you to that's scary? God is on mission to redeem, to reclaim the world. Mark says that his gospel is just the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. Even the ending of his gospel is still just the beginning. So we ask that question, what then is the continuation of the good news story? It's simple. We are. We're the continuation of the good news story. And so Mark doesn't have time. Like you notice this, he doesn't stay in the manger for long. Mark doesn't even have a manger, right? He doesn't have time for baby stuff. So God calls us beyond Bethlehem, beyond singing Christmas carols and the confines of our lovely gatherings, out into the world, the world because like, that's where God is. On the loose, God can be found out those doors. And so it's a compelling call, and the call is a really simple one. Jesus just says, follow me. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your, this irresistible grace.
this call that we experience, God, we know you're calling us to something. And those things can often feel overwhelming and scary. God, we do trust your word that says that you are loose in the world, that you're not contained to the confines of somewhere else, but you're right here calling us and claiming us for a mission. God, help us to hear that call. Uh, and may that call be irresistible, that we might be able to overcome some of those, those fears that we have and deal with when we hear a scary call. God, we offer our lives to you like those four fishermen brothers did. Help us to follow you. Amen.